Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys this Memorial Day weekend. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 28, we are going to be in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 28. Uh, as you turn there, let me introduce myself. If I have not had the chance to meet you before, my name is Trey Corey. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and it is a joy to be with you all to fill in for Blake this morning. And so we're going to be at the ending of the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 28. Uh, we're going to look at verses 11 to 31, but I want to pick up uh, the front of this time uh, at verse 28. Acts 28, verse 28. Luke writes, Therefore let it be known to you this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. We pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. I thank you that you are uh, incredibly patient with us. Thank you for your extravagant love that has been bestowed on us and has been communicated in a way that no one else ever could. That your son, Jesus Christ, would take on human flesh, that he would live righteously on our behalf and that he would give his own life for us. Lord, we thank you for what you've done on our behalf. Father, I pray this morning as we open your word, Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you'd illuminate our minds, that you'd soften our hearts, Lord, and that you'd allow us to hear your voice as it quietly, as it leads us, and as it beckons us, Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us and direct us to whatever it is that you would have for us this morning, Lord. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to jump into your word, to hear your revealed spoken word, Lord. I pray that you would uh, allow it to imprint upon our minds and our hearts this morning. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen. Well, I had a good friend in high school who uh, his senior year wanted to ask a girl out to prom and decided he felt so strongly about her that he wanted to ask her out as creatively as possible to prom. So he staged an elaborate plan and what he decided to do was let this girl uh, drive home as normal. And so she'd gone to her locker at the end of a high school day, grabbed her stuff, loaded up into her car and began home, driving home on the same route she would take every single day. She would come to the last stop sign right before the last stretch of, of road before she'd get to her house. And my friend, little did she know, was waiting, hiding, crouched behind a parked car on the other side of the intersection. She would come to a stop at the intersection, begin to accelerate up through the intersection, picking up speed faster and faster. And she would break through on the other side of the intersection, parallel with the car that my friend was hiding behind. And as she reached parallel, all of a sudden, my friend thrust himself airborne straight into her windshield. All right. He topples down the hood of her, uh, of her car onto the gravel and pavement and lands scratching himself, rolling uh, until he comes to a stop. Uh, this girl comes to a screeching stop of the car thinking she just killed somebody, all right? Runs out and within two steps realizes it's one of her good friends. <laughs> Gets a few more steps closer and she realizes as she looks at him that his shirt is torn and ripped and mangled and there is red all over his chest. So she gets up closer, bends down on a knee, pulls open his shirt, and finds written across his chest, how about prom? All right? <laughs> I'll give the man points for incredible creativity, right? The problem, though, is this. Uh, he didn't realize that 15 minutes prior to this little roadside collision, all right, another dude would have showed up at her locker and asked her out to prom, and she already said yes to somebody else, all right? All right. My poor friend became nothing more than a romantic roadkill on the side of the road, right? <laughs> Awful, all right? Uh, as he envisioned and as he imagined how this day was going to unfold, this is not an ending to the story that he would have ever imagined or anticipated, all right? 
In fact, he would have a hard time reconciling and dealing with this issue. And so he would go on like any mature high school kid with his band and write a song called, I'm Sorry I Asked, right? He'd call the girl a princess and he'd talk about how he laid in the gravel, uh, beaten and bruised, dramatizing it just a little bit, right? For everybody's sake. But for him, there's no way he could have imagined or foreseen or written a story that would have unfolded in that kind of way. If you guys were with us just a couple weeks ago, we looked at the book of Jonah. Blake wrapped up that great story, that great book. In chapter four, we saw an ending to the book also that one could never have imagined. No one would have imagined that uh, uh, the story of Jonah would have ended in chapter four the way that it did. This morning, as we look at the ending of the book of Acts, chapter 28, we're going to see the ending of a story that I would have never imagined it would have going to have ended this way. If you know the book of Acts at all, for us who are in the college service as we walked through this year, we walked from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of the book of Acts all year long, right? I was a little excited to end it, okay? Uh, also was invested and really was curious to see how would Luke wrap up this incredible story of the church's missionary expansion and, and the kinds of tales and the kinds of stories that really were absolutely unprecedented that we saw in the first century A.D., How would Luke wrap up that story with a bow? How would that story conclude? In many ways, if I was going to write the story that we'll find in Acts 28, I would have imagined Steven Spielberg would have picked up the script that I would have written that would have had the Apostle Paul and the Grand Roman Emperor Caesar in a great showdown in Acts 28, all right? I would have had, of course, Paul winning Caesar to Jesus Christ, Caesar's household, Caesar's palace, and the Roman Empire all in chapter 28, right? And the gospel going to all nations. That's not how Acts 28 ends at all, is it? I read you guys the last three, four verses of Acts 28. How does it end? It ends with Paul sitting in house arrest, waiting for two years to get to Caesar. <laughs> right? In fact, if you know the book of Acts at all, we get seven, the last seven chapters of the book of Acts are Paul standing before one judge after another, being passed around like a hot potato, all right? As, he is, as his story and as his judgment comes from one judge to another, who eventually he appeals to Caesar and is on his way to Caesar in Rome when he's on a ship that's shipwrecked. He's stranded at an island for years, finally gets to Rome in Acts 28, and he sits in Rome under house arrest for two years, and the story ends, no Caesar. <laughs> what a deflating ending to the book of Acts, right? Could you have any less climax, any less suspense, any less tension than what we find in Acts 28? Paul and house arrest. Are you kidding me, Luke? (laughs) Now that I've completely deflated your interest in Acts 28, we're going to jump into it this morning, all right? This is not what a preacher does in most introductions, all right? Uh, But the more and more I chewed on Acts 28 and the more and more I thought about it, it really is not a finale like you and I often think of finales. And so that's why we have to kind of shift our gears as to what Luke is doing in the book of Acts. Ultimately, Acts 28 is not a finale in which we bid adieu to the cast of the characters and the stories concluded with questions that we never got answered like in the TV show Lost, right? It's not that kind of finale, all right? Ultimately, the story of Acts is going to spin off into the church age with a whole bunch of epistles and letters that we're going to get, and we'll see these same cast of characters transition on to new stories and new chapters of a larger story known as the church age, all right? So Acts 28 is not at all the ending to the book of Acts. It is but a transition marker to a new chapter that will unfold. And really what Acts 28 does for you and I is provide us three basic reminders that are absolutely relevant and timely for the church at all generations and all times. And really as the enterprise and the mission of the church will spin off from the book of Acts into the other letters that we'll find, ultimately I think Luke provides us three reminders that are absolutely critical for the church in the midst of transition. And ultimately, I'm going to argue to you and submit to you this morning that these three reminders are absolutely critical, relevant, and timely for you and I as we transition from the spring and into the summer. (laughs) 
ultimately what the summary is all about and what we're all stepping towards, I think these three reminders in the book of Acts chapter 28 are wonderfully timely for us. Things that we need to grasp and hold on to as we step into the summer and as we look at what God has for our summer. The first reminder, though, is simple, and that's this, that ultimately we are not alone. The first thing I think Luke, and and ultimately I think God wants to remind the Apostle Paul, and therefore by extension you and I, is that we are not alone. Notice the reception, notice the arrival Paul has into Rome, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 28. Luke tells us, beginning in verse 11, at the end of three months we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island, and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead, and after we put in at Syracuse we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium, and a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came up to Puteoli. There we found some brethren, and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Apias and three inns to meet us. And then Paul saw them, and he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. I think the first thing that Luke wants Paul to realize, and by extension you and I, is that Paul's arrival was one that was marked by anything but solitariness, right? Paul doesn't arrive into Rome, look for people, doesn't know anyone, and just sits alone by himself. That's not at all what happens in Acts 28. As Paul arrives and as he travels to Rome and as he arrives in Rome, every single detail and narrative is meant to help you and I realize that Paul was not alone at all. In fact, I think for many of us, as we think about finales of TV shows, maybe some TV shows that you've loved for years that you just bid goodbye to the last few weeks, there's an element of, of your heart that is empty and lonely because there have been people that have been in your living rooms literally every week for years, right? And now as they bid off and ride off into the sunset with TV shows that you won't see again, there's an element of loneliness and sadness because you're not going to see these people, right? You've seen them grow, you've seen them develop, you've seen their life stages change. And as those finales close out and as those TV shows don't come back, there's an element of loneliness and sadness because you feel alone, all right? Maybe it's just me and my nostalgicness, all right? Or maybe I just kind of get hooked onto characters a little too much, all right? But I think for many of us, as those TV shows transition off, there's a sense of loneliness of, oh man, I'm not going to see these people again. As the book of Acts ends, really, the first thing we're going to see is that this is unlike many finales of TV shows that you and I ever run across, (laughs) And that you and I don't feel alone because Paul will get the reminder as he arrives in Rome that he is anything but alone. First of all, God is clearly present with him. Second of all, we're going to see that the people of God are present with him as well. Paul's reception will be clearly that he is not alone. And it's the same for you and I. I want you to think even about the great commission, the great charge that you and I as the church of God have been given as to what we are to be about. Jesus will say in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And how does it end? And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Incredible task. (laughs) Incredible encouragement, right? Doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter the task. God is always there to say to his people, I am with you. You are not alone. In the midst of this great showdown, in the midst of this arrival at Rome, God wanted Paul to remember, especially in the fact that he'd be waiting for two years with no Caesar to show up, that he was not alone. God was with them, and even more, the people of God were with him as well. We see this refrain throughout the scriptures. Think back to prophet Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah says to God, I alone am left. (laughs) There's none in the nation of Israel. There are none here that want to know you and walk with you. And what does God say back to him? (laughs) No, 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 no. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. It is human nature often for you and I to feel like we are alone. And the encouragement that God provides for his people over and over again is, no, 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 you are not alone. 
I am with you, and my people are my embodiment of another reminder of my presence. In fact, First Peter chapter five verse nine, Peter writing to a church who is under attack, who is under persecution, suffering and struggling, and he says this: Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren. Resist him, who the devil? Why? What was the devil trying to make them believe that they were alone? And what is Peter's solution to that? No, no, no. The experiences and what you are walking through, you are not the only one. Your experiences are common to all the brethren throughout the entirety of the world who are experiencing the same thing. So don't buy the lie that you are alone. I want to ask you this morning as you head off into summer and as you transition, the reality is so many of our schedules, so many of our routines begin to shift and to stop. So many of our friends and so many of our family begin to vacation, take off. And so people and community becomes a very inconsistent experience in the summer. And so it becomes very easy. It becomes very natural for you and I to begin to feel like maybe we're alone. Many of our friends are gone off, maybe summer school, maybe jobs, maybe they're vacationing, taking off, or maybe many of our friends who are used to seeing in activities, those activities have ceased. And so all of a sudden, some of us begin to feel like we're trapped in our homes, right? Or the very people we're used to seeing, we don't see. And as we step into summer with all of its excitement, with all of its opportunity, with all of its promises, you may not feel it now, but soon around the corner, there's going to begin to be the sense of maybe you feel alone. So one of the first reminders I want to give you as we transition into summer this morning is you are anything but alone. All right. God himself who has created you and who knows you has promised you that you are not alone, that he sees you, he loves you, and he knows you. And second of all, his own people are an aspect of his presence and his embodiment. And so in the midst of summer, realize that you may have to take initiation and you may have to plan to see people. Don't buy into the lie and begin to retreat thinking that you're alone and there's no one around. That's not true. It may look different and you may experience it differently this summer, but don't buy into that lie. I think it's really interesting as we look at this incredible ending to the book of Acts. Why is it that the first thing that God wants Paul to realize is that he's not alone? Why is that so critical? It feels a little bit of like kumbaya, let's hold hands, let's all tell each other how much we love each other. It kind of feels a little touchy-feely, right? Why? I think ultimately God is going to give Paul two reminders of what he's to be about and what you and I, therefore, by extension, are to be about. But if we believe that we're alone, there's no way that we're going to stand a chance at fulfilling those two reminders, those two calls, those two commands. When you and I become discouraged and feel like we're alone and that there's no one else around us, then all of a sudden we cannot fulfill what God has called us to and what God has prepared for our summer. So what are those two things? The first thing we're going to see uh, is ultimately, I think what God is going to want Paul to be about is that he's to be the one who's waiting on Jesus Christ. It's interesting in Acts 28, for me, as I was getting, getting to the end of the story, what I was looking for, what I was waiting on was the arrival of Caesar, all right? We spent seven chapters detailing and walking through, if you know the storyline of the book of Acts, Paul being passed around from one judge to another, like a great white elephant gift, all right? He just moved around constantly, okay? And yet there's a sense for me as I was walking through it, the whole time the storyline has a trajectory that Paul is going to arrive in Rome and he's going to stand in front of Caesar, all right? And what's fascinating is even as the story ends, he doesn't stand before Caesar. He doesn't even see Caesar by the end of the book of Acts, For me, it felt incredibly deflating. But for Paul, you don't see any element of disappointment and even any element of frustration. I get on the phone for 10 minutes with a cellular customer service automated machine and I want to go crazy, right? Let me get to the one who has authority to resolve my issues, right? So I get passed around from one customer service representative to another and I want to pull my hair out. 
And in the midst of this incredible waiting process, seven chapters worth, multiple years, being stranded, being shipwrecked, finally getting to Rome, and then being under house arrest, Paul doesn't seem frustrated at all. In fact, he seems incredibly poised, and he seems like he stays very much on task. Why? I think ultimately Paul was not waiting primarily on Caesar. Paul was primarily waiting on Jesus Christ. I think what Paul's hopes were built around were Paul's frustrations and knew they would find resolution was not the arrival and the appearing of Caesar who he could stand before as if that was going to solve anything. But ultimately it was the return and the appearance of Jesus Christ way more than it was Caesar. Paul did not confuse secondary things with primary things. And yet you and I do that all the time, right? The things that we wait for, the things that we anticipate, the things that we get excited about are often always secondary things. Let me ask you this morning, when's the last time that you got excited about or you reflected on the reality of the impending return of Jesus Christ? Or does that seem so secondary, so indefinite that it's just not practical or realistic for you and I to really dwell on? It's fascinating because when you and I begin to wait primarily on secondary things, the results are catastrophic. Uh, I'm telling you guys a story about a friend of mine named who for the sake of our morning, we'll call him Blake, all right? Uh, you may also know him as a pastor. I don't know, okay? Uh, but one of my favorite stories of Blake was early on in his marriage. I loved listening to his early marriage stories and his lessons that he learned, all right? But there was one Saturday where he was frantically working on a paper that he had to conclude to wrap up a semester's worth of work. And he and his wife, who we'll call her Julie, all right, were going to celebrate that evening on a date, all right? And so since Blake was completely occupied by his paper and whatnot, Julie decided to head off, did a little bit of shopping, bought a new dress for the date, got her hair redone for the date. Was all excited, really looking forward to the date that night. Midway through the afternoon while Julie was gone and as Blake was working on his paper, there was a knock at his door and UPS showed up with his brand new laptop. All right. Now he proceeded to unpack that laptop and begin to stare at it, wondering how much he should really get into it. And he finally just couldn't resist and he finally got engrossed at looking at all the new features, got all excited about it. Right. And his paper didn't get done, right? Julie comes home from shopping and whatnot and says, hey, honey, when are you going to be ready? Maybe 10, 15 minutes. And Blake says, oh yeah, that'd be great. So he puts the laptop away, gets working on the paper, trying to finish it up as fast and as quickly as he can. 15 minutes go by. Julie walks out of the bedroom and says, hey, you're going to be ready in about five minutes. Blake says, oh yeah, for sure. Continuing to type. And then she says, hey, honey, how do you think I look? New dress, new hairdo. Blake says, honey, you look great. Problem was, he never looked up. <laughs> Ooh, right? The date night didn't go all the way that he had hoped it might go, right? It wasn't exactly as pleasant as he thought. Why? Because gadgets are the great evils of our society? No, right? Although men be weary of arriving gadgets and deliveries, right? But here's the deal. Why? Because Blake was set and determined in waiting and anticipating things that were secondary. He missed what was primary, Right? He got engrossed with a laptop and got engrossed with even a paper. And when he missed what was the most primary part of that day, which was a date with his wife, right? And the results were not pleasant, right? And yet you and I do that all the time. We all do the same way, right? Sometimes in our marriage or all the times in the rest of our lives. I want to ask you even this morning, what is it that you are most excited about as you look at this summer? As you think of all the things that are coming up, all the opportunities that are there, all the ways life are going to change, what is it that you are most excited about? Is it a vacation? Is it an opportunity to get away or to get somewhere? Is it a new job? For some of you guys, is it a wedding? Maybe just a date for once, right? I don't know. What is it? Uh, maybe for some of you guys, it's a job or a new change or a new move. I don't know what it is, but what is it that you are really amped up and anticipating and giddy about this summer? With that in mind, I want to ask you, 
Does that item overshadow and eclipse the return of Jesus Christ or does it enhance it? Does the thing that you are most excited about, most set on, does it eclipse the return of Jesus Christ and overshadow it? Or does it only enhance it and highlight it for other people? What is it that you're most excited about? And how does it compare to the return of Jesus Christ? Because what's interesting is this, that ultimately what you and I are most absolutely bent on and waiting for is what we will ultimately begin to proclaim to the world. It's interesting, uh, I think, as we look even at one of my favorite quotes comes from C.S. Lewis, and he says this, as we think about waiting for secondary things, he says, God made us. He invented us as a man events an engine. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You and I were designed and built on an anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of all of his promises. And there is no greater satisfaction that we can find apart from that pursuit. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is deflating, disappointing, and a letdown. And yet we spend all of our lives running and chewing and racing after those secondary things. We miss ultimately what God primarily has in store for us, which is himself. Again, what is it you are most excited about? What is it you are most anticipating? And does it fuel your worship of God or does it distract from it? What is it for you as you look at the summer? It's interesting because what you and I are most excited about, what we are anticipating the most as we wait on it is what we will eventually and naturally proclaim to the world. Luke will, kind of, I think, remind us that not just that we are waiting on Christ, but we are witnessing of Christ. Uh, this past week, we had an opportunity as a family to get away. Uh, we had a great Groupon deal that popped up for the Great Wolf Lodge in Grapevine. Awesome, fun family spot, all right? Uh, we were incredibly looking forward to it. In fact, the last few weeks, we've been talking all about it. And so my precious little three-and-a-half-year-old girl, Caroline, was super amped up and excited about the Great Wolf Lodge. And so as you would suspect... Anyone and everyone who was in listening shot of whatever she wanted to talk about was going to hear about the Great Wolf Lodge, right? In fact, in the last two weeks, any artwork that came back from the Mother's Day Out program that Caroline goes to was about the Great Wolf Lodge, all right? I'm not lying, all right? It would say by Caroline about the Great Wolf Lodge, all right? The Great Wolf Lodge was what she was most excited about. And so to anyone who would listen, she was telling them all about it. And it was awesome. And we had a great time. But it is absolutely natural, whether you're a three-and-a-half-year-old, a 33-year-old, or older, that what you're most anticipating, what you are most excited about, is also what you're most quick to proclaim to anyone who will listen. And what we find Paul doing here at the end of Acts 28 is doing what he's always done to anyone who would listen. That was proclaiming what he was most excited about, the coming reality of the kingdom of God. I want you guys to pick it up in verse 23. Look with me, if you will, again. Acts 28, beginning in verse 23. Luke tells us that when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe Pick it up in verse 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. For me, as I thought about Acts 28, it felt like an incredible letdown. It felt like a waste of two years, right? Paul just sitting in house arrest. Why has he not gotten to Caesar? I think ultimately I was waiting for the resolution of the wrong plot line. (laughs) 
Ultimately, I think Paul didn't miss it, though, and therefore he wasn't wasting his time waiting around for Caesar. But to whoever would listen, Jew and Gentile alike, he would take every opportunity, not just to all people, but also in any situation, to proclaim the glories of God himself, the grace of God, and what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do in the future. To any who would listen in any situation Paul found himself, he was constantly proclaiming the kingdom of God to whoever would listen. In fact, it's interesting in in Acts 28, he will talk about the Jew and the Gentile who will get to hear this message. And then even as you walk through the book of Acts at large, if I can expand the scope really real quickly and walk you through the book of Acts, it's fascinating as you think about all the different situations that the people of God find themselves. There are moments where the people of God are performing miracles and the crowd is adoring and worshiping them. And then there are moments where the crowd is turning on them in a heartbeat of a change to kill them. But in the midst of the miracles or in the midst of the mayhem, the people of God are worshiping and proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's not just miracles and mayhem. It's even in the midst of harbors where ships are being docked or in the midst of handcuffs where the saints of the people of God are being handcuffed and in prison. It doesn't matter. Harbors or handcuffs, the people of God are proclaiming the kingdom of God. Even in roadside collisions as Paul uh, is collided with Jesus Christ in Acts 9 or in the midst of councils in Acts 15, it does not matter. The people of God are proclaiming the kingdom of God. As you walk through the book of Acts, the scenarios, the environments, the situations are so diverse. It's so fascinating because in any and every situation, in much and little, in freedom and arrest, the people of God continue to proclaim the kingdom of God because what they are waiting most for was the realization of the appearance and the return of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating because I think as we think about summer, I think for many of us, we see summer as an off season, right? Much of life ceases, much of the routines of life change. And so I think for many of us kind of think, hey, summer is a time to take things off, kick back and lean back, right? Uh, In some senses, life kind of just shifts, the gears kind of shift down, it kind of slows down, which is wonderful. But I want to challenge you as you step into the summer, not just that you'd be looking for community, not just that you would be ultimately realizing that what you're most should be looking forward to, the return of Christ, not something this summer, But lastly, I want to challenge you to have your eyes open for the opportunities that may be there this summer to proclaim Jesus Christ to whomever you may run into. I had an opportunity a few months ago. uh, My parents kept our kids and we took off on a little date weekend. Marcy, my wife and I, to San Antonio. had a great time, stayed on the Riverwalk, got some great Mexican food. Also had the opportunity to go to a Mavs-Spurs game. And as a guy who grew up in Dallas, loves Mavs, it's been a little bit of a rough year, all right? Uh, And that night didn't really go any other way that I would have expected. We lost at a buzzer beater shot, all right? But here's what was fascinating to me that night. Uh, I hadn't been to a Mavs game in years. I was so amped up, so excited. We paid, uh, I got some really, I think, some pretty good seats for that night, and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, and I, frankly, talked myself up saying, you're here with your wife on a date weekend. Don't say hello to her at tip-off and hello to her at the buzzer at the end, right? Engage her well, all right? And so have a great night together. But what I didn't expect was what God would do on the other side of me, all right? We would sit down and uh, sit down next to a dude who was extremely extroverted, extremely talkative, all right? Who, I, I don't know if he was there for the game or what, because he was not just a talkative guy, but he was the kind of guy who wanted eye contact as you talk all the time, which meant this is not helping me watch the game, which is over here, right? So there's a little bit of frustration brewing in my heart through the first quarter. I remember literally going, Lord, Why? <laughs> why? Why here? Why him? Why now? Right? Why? What is the deal? Right? And yet my wife, who is always more spiritual than myself, was gracious and engaging him and talking with him, getting to know him, getting to hear his story. And surely about the second quarter, things would begin to turn. He'd hear I was a pastor. And before I knew it, midway through the second quarter, we're talking all about the gospel, all about who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and what he's going to come do in the future. 
and how Jesus Christ is different and distinct from every other world religion and every other religion's founder. He is unique. He's the God man, the one who took on human flesh, the one who died on our behalf so that he could extend to us something that we could never earn. In the midst of that conversation, halfway through the second quarter, I realized, I realized why God had put us here, right? It wasn't for a Mavs game that they would lose anyways, right? But it was to engage this individual that God had put us sovereignly right beside. It took me a quarter and a half to get my heart to move around and change and get in the right place to engage him and to let the game go and have a great conversation. And I'll tell you, even when we did that, it was unlike most conversations I've ever had because we'd have moments of, this is the nature of who Jesus is, this is what he done. And then seconds later, we'd be screaming, that's a foul, Duncan's traveling, come on. And then back to the gospel, back to the game, back to the gospel, back to the game, all right? It was unlike most conversations I've ever had, all right? But, but it was one of those moments where I realized, hey, the gospel is for all people in any situation, Right? That wasn't a situation I imagined or was I planning for. And frankly, frankly, I was close to it initially. And one of the things I want to challenge you to as you consider this summer and the different opportunities and things that the Lord may have planned for you, have your eyes open because this is not the off season. And frankly, there may be opportunities that are even more impacting and powerful that you may not be imagining as you step into the summer. I don't know for you if it's someone who's new doing an internship at your job. I don't know if it's someone who's in your summer school class. I don't know if it's a deli counter clerk that you will run into at a grocery store while you're on vacation. I don't know who it is. You're living the dream and, and you're realizing that he is not living the dream and you begin to hear his story across a deli counter. I don't know what it is. But I want to challenge you this morning as you think of your summer, as you step into, in some cases, uh, an irregular schedule, a different season of life that God may be wanting to do some things really significantly through you and in you as a spokesperson for him. And sometimes the situations aren't what you imagine. They don't look like what you may think they may look like. And the story often doesn't turn out anything like you may think. The question is, if you're intent supremely and primarily about the return of Jesus Christ, then you will be quick to proclaim who he is, what he's done, and what he'll do in the future. What will those opportunities look like? It's fascinating. I think even for Paul, you think about Romans chapter 5, Romans 1 verses 15 and 16, Paul was ambitious and unashamed of the gospel. It was a heartbeat for him. If you cut him, he bled gospel. He says in Romans 1 verses 15 and 16, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1, 15, 16. Paul was unashamed of the gospel. And particularly was excited to get to Rome to declare it and to proclaim it. In fact, I once heard from maybe a professor somewhere along the way in seminary, someone said that you could tell the meaning of a book of the Bible by looking at the first word and the last word, which frankly I thought was preposterous, right? (laughs) How does that work, right? But actually in the book of Acts is actually, I think, spot on, dead on, right? First word of the book of Acts is the. Last word of the book of Acts is unhindered. The story of the book of Acts is not just the acts of the apostles, but it is a story of those who are the unhindered, right? That ultimately God has given a task to a people he calls his church and he will accomplish his purposes sovereignly through them and nothing can stop them. One of my favorite passages comes in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says to Peter, speaking of the church, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Matthew 16. If we're not ashamed of the gospel, And if we are the people who are the unhindered, then what is stopping us? Are you ashamed of the gospel? 
Do you believe that God can accomplish incredible things if you'll just declare that message? That's why Paul says in Romans 1, it is the power for salvation. You have an incredible message that is at your fingertips, that is on the tip of your tongue. And let me challenge you to have eyes that are open to see the opportunities that this summer will present, whether it's at a park, whether it's at a deli counter, whether it's in an office, whether it's in a summer school class. I don't know your circumstances. But may your eyes be uniquely open to those opportunities to proclaim the message of hope, the gospel of grace, the good news that is so unlike any other message our world has ever heard. And it changes and it transforms and it's incredibly powerful. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for that incredible message that you've put in our hands, that you've made us ambassadors of reconciliation, that you've made us spokespersons for you and for your kingdom, that we in our weakness, we in our intimidation, we in our insecurity, for some reason have been given the incredible privilege to represent you and declare to the world at large who you are and what you're doing. And Father, I pray for us as a church, for us who know you, Lord, I pray that you allow us to be bold in our witness, that you allow us to have purified hope that is resolute and set on the return of Jesus Christ, that would not confuse secondary things for primary things, that we would be intent and that we would meditate, that we would be reflective of your imminent and near return. And Father, I pray for those of us who may not know you, who may not have a relationship with you at all this morning. Father, I pray that you would allow them to consider the reality of what you've done on their behalf. Not just that you are a creator of them, that you've designed them in your image, but that you would take upon yourself human flesh, that you'd come to live amongst us so that you could be a holy substitute for us and that you would die a death that we would not have to face so that we could experience something that we could not earn eternal life, forgiveness, reconciliation, Lord. I pray if there are some of us here this morning who do not know you, Lord, I pray that we would consider that message of hope and of grace that you've done for us something that we could not earn or merit ourselves and it's powerful and it saves. Father, I pray that you'd allow us to be a church that would be bold for you, that would step into neighborhoods and in offices and in workplaces to represent you, to speak of you and to speak of a love and a hope that we have for your return and for what you've done already in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. May you use us for your purposes and for your glory. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen. You guys have a great weekend and we'll see you guys next Sunday.